Chapter 2 I have an offer I would like you to consider, Omar whispered to me. I nodded. Later, I would hear our host first. There were two possibilities. Either it was not the real Omar I strangled and buried a week ago, or the man I sat next to was an imposter. Yet he appeared as he always had, clean-shaven, short grey hair, and an infectious smile. Even his cologne was the same clean citrus scent. One more possibility, Junior, the persona I called 55 said. 55 was both his rank and his name. He was also an assassin, the one who led me to this career. He was paranoid in the extreme, but his advice had often saved my life. Dying tends to make one cautious. Tell me. Client, the practice is forbidden by corporate law. It messes up our ranking system. Not that any regulation would stop Omar. He'd kill, blackmail, and cheat to advance himself. How did he get in? I have his coded invitation chip. We've got bigger things to worry about, 55 said. This is a secret meeting, right? Invitation only, right? The man you're supposed to be is sitting next to you. How long do you think it will take them to figure it out? You better leave. He was correct. I could be silenced in a number of extremely unpleasant ways if caught. Looking for the door, I came through. I only saw turquoise tiles and moonstones, and no exit. The psychologist whispered. No one has noticed. Remain calm. Do nothing to draw attention to yourself. Perhaps we may yet walk out unscathed. If we're lucky. The virtual Erebus continued. My time is limited, so I shall dispense with formalities. You are here because of your reputations, your resourcefulness, and because you exist outside the influential spheres of my corporations. First, your compensation. He snapped his fingers and faded from view. If you find it compelling, you may remain so we may discuss the assignment. A new image appeared on the projection pad. Two balls of light, a binary star shining in the center of the room, a golden orb cradled, a smaller blue-white companion, fingers of plasma writhed between them. The inlaid moonstones on the walls glowed in this new sunlight like pale stars in the night sky. The binary system, Erato, contains seven planets. Erebus, Disembodied's voice explained. Two gas giants, rich in industrial fluorocarbons. Three are balls of ice, but two, the second and third worlds, are special. The sphere of cobalt replaced the blazing stars. It had a cap of ice on either pole and pink clouds finger-painted upon its surface. One continent, a jigsaw of rivers and mountains floated among a thousand islands 
in a mirrored dark sea. Earth's planet has been terraformed to a prime rating and is ready for immediate colonization. Another globe materialized. Streaks of black and orange. Clouds from its active volcanoes smeared a third of the sky with veils of ash. This planet possesses only a tertiary rating, yet yields an annual treasure trove of gems, heavy metals, and rare philosopher's stones. The worlds winked out of existence, and Erebus reappeared center stage, his raven eyes inspecting the shadows we sat in. In exchange for your cooperation, the title to the seven worlds and both stars is yours. No man has such wealth to proffer, Omar said to me. Indeed, I grew up mining philosopher's stones. A perfect specimen was worth a fortune. How much would a planet full be worth? A sum beyond my reckoning. Not mine, remarked the gambler. Gillish the Green jumped to his feet and cried. Rocks. Why do I care for rocks? You own a morning star. You offer me more or I leave. You offer me more or I order my ships to destroy Golden City. The tattooed pirate's greed was legendary. I might him for it because you always knew where you stood with Gillish. At the business end of his saber. He wore his sword openly, curious that he had been allowed to keep it in this secure room. Then again, I couldn't imagine anyone foolhardy enough to take it from him. A smile rippled across Erebus's lips, then withered. I value your bravado, Mr. Gillish. Feel free to attack my golden city. The diversion would prove amusing. You have, however, anticipated my generosity. My Morningstar cartel has many facets, rewards to suit every appetite, even yours. His virtual image shattered, glittering bits upon the projection pad. Octahedral crystals of gold packed into ebony chests, coffers filled with indigo fire diamonds and bipolar star emeralds and pink pearls the size of goose eggs. Bolts of iridescent silk embroidered with roses, lilies, and chrysanthemums. Cut crystal vials of bioluminescent life-extending elixir, idols of jade, a throne of lapis lazuli, and countless silver coins spilled across the stage, surged forward, then vanished before they touched the floor. Erebus returned, no smile. Sufficient. Gillish's face split in two, a grin of crooked teeth the dividing line, and he sat down. His wealth appealed to me, but more appealing was that Erebus owned the Morning Star Cartel. That was real power and wealth. 
the cartel was on Earth before the first and second expansions. They were the first to get a firm financial hold on Mars, Alpha Centauri, and the rest of the colonies. When the second expansion hit, they were everywhere at once. Only a handful of corporations made the transition to a galactic market. Morningstar led them. Among the governments, cults, and corporate entities that swam the choppy sea of changing political boundaries and fiscal opportunity, Morningstar Cartel was a shark that went out of its way to gobble up the competition. If Erebus owned the cartel, then he could offer a reward to make my winnings in the casino seem like dropped change, too small to pick up. With extraordinary compensation. Erebus continued, comes an equally extraordinary task. Some have claimed it impossible. Pardon me, the young hero Gustav said and politely raised his hand. If, sir, you're wealthy as you claim, then why not undertake this task yourself? Surely, you're better equipped and have more resources than any one of us. Watch this one, 55 said. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the bunch. Something stinks about him. If I could use my resources in this affair, Erebus said, the rumble underlying his voice crackling like thunder. I would. I am, however, bound by contractual obligations to follow an exact set of rules. These rules, the contract which binds me, has ensured my long life, my success in business, and my delight for centuries. But like all contracts of this type, it has a limited duration. When it expires, my life and my immortal soul are forfeit. Sister Olivia rose from her seat, her bones popping and crackling. She pointed a trembling finger at him and hissed, You sold your soul to the devil. How dare you beg for God's mercy? Erebus's dark eyes twinkled. Sold my soul to the devil? That is a simplistic analysis of an intricate business transaction, but yes, technically, if you wish to describe it in such terms, I did precisely that. And what makes you think I would help undo your folly? She demanded. Daughter of God, I appreciate your apprehension. His eyes found her in the shadows and fixed upon her. They simultaneously sparkled and absorbed the light around them. Seventeen hundred years ago, I condemned my soul. Since then I have changed. The man who I was, the man who craved only power, is not the one who stands before you this evening. You know of my charitable record, the private trusts, my donations to worthy charities, as I recall even to your own order of the Burning Cross. 
Sister Olivia wavered under his stare. Gold cannot purchase redemption from God, she said, and sank back into her seat. She made the sign of the cross, prayed a moment, and added, Nevertheless, if you have truly repented, the Lord may see fit to forgive you. Her order of the burning cross was popular, perhaps because it offers its followers a rigid code of rules in an unruly universe. Some people needed rules, and no matter what Sister Olivia said about gold and God and redemption, she needed money. Her order had political muscle, but when things got nasty, she used armies, thugs, and inquisitions to force their enlightened ways upon others. That required cash. I am not ashamed of anything I have done, Erebus said. I did what I had to. Now I seek a solution to my quandary. If any feel uneasy with the spiritual nature of this, you are free to go. I would not fault you. That was my cue to leave. And what are the odds of staying alive? The gambler asked. You better stand pat. One word about this deal with the devil, and his stock loses half its value. Don't think he won't fold you if you walk out. But how much longer could I stay and remain undiscovered? I was dead either way. Aren't you curious to see what his game is? I'd rather be alive than curious. A moment passed and no one got up to leave, including me. Perfect, Erebus said. I shall divulge to you what this impossible task of mine is. Lights, please. Overhead, illumination amber in color filled the turquoise room with a warm glow, making the blue stone darken and the moonstones blush. When I negotiated the contract to exchange my soul for power, he explained, I bartered for the inclusion of an escape clause. A standard year before my contract expires, I may summon thirteen champions to risk their lives and souls in place of mine. He or she, Erebus paused, while the cut stretched his collective body. Or it must do so freely and with full knowledge of the consequences. No task is impossible, snorted Gillish. Show me what you want. I get it. Erebus became shadows and faded. In his place appeared a bowl of gilt silver with eight panels, each engraved with a leering face. There were disjointed arms and legs carved upon a two, and on the inside rim a sculpted cavalry, and armies marched. This is one incarnation of what I seek, Erebus's voice whispered. A second vision appeared, a silver cup, polished to a mirror shine. It had a wide mouth, a short stem, and fat base inscribed with crosses and angels and inlaid with a mosaic of garnet and ivory. Within was a stagnant liquor, 
sister Olivia gasped. It too then vanished. And a third image, a drinking horn of beaten gold. About the mouth was fastened a crown of five points, and along its length were fashioned the faces of a hundred kings. What I seek changes through myth and time and place, but the core of what it is remains constant. You will know it when you find it. He spoke of the grail. When I was younger, much younger, and beginning my apprenticeship, my master made me read Créchant de toi le conte grail and all the other grail myths. Only one pure of heart could claim the relic. It almost made me laugh that Erebus thought anyone in this room had a chance. Almost. Because the laughter froze in my mouth. I tried to swallow, but my muscles would not respond. A smothering veil clouded my perceptions. I listened from the inside of a seashell, peered through a foggy lens, and only sensed my flesh through a dozen quilted blankets. I had lost control of my body. Who possesses me? I demanded. Silence. Then who's not in control? It's not me, honey. Celeste purred. I'm right here, next to you. Her thoughts mingled with mine, erotic and tempting, but I gently pushed her away. Perhaps you had a seizure, offered the psychologist. My personas of Aaron and Medea gave me a mental nod. Aaron was an alien king, a creature of stone, whose mind was indecipherable. Like an oyster coats an irritating grain of sand, so did I surround Aaron's crystallized thoughts with a blanket of obliviousness. Medea rarely had anything to say. She preferred action to words. The gambler said, I'm not even dealt in on this hand. That only leaves one uncounted for, said 55. Your master? That's not possible. I replied. There was too little left of my master. The mnemonic lore I stole from his mind was intricate and huge. It left no room for his intellect. The power was there, a shred of his feelings, but no awareness. At least that was what I had assumed. Could he have been there, mute, all these years? Master, are you the one who possesses me? I'm sorry for what happened, believe me. I never meant you harm. My body stood, moved without my permission. Then I spoke. You make reference to the Holy Grail. The first image was a pre-Christian Celtic artifact, the Gundestrup cauldron. The second is a classical reconstruction from the early French legends of the Cup of Christ, and the last is the vessel of the celestial dragon's blood, discovered in deep space and according to myth, containing the souls of the hundred wisest kings yet to be born. Thirteen heads turned towards me. Got control back, 55 hissed. The last thing we want is attention. Stop. I screamed at whoever directed my body. You were going to get us killed. I wrestled. 
with the mind dominating my body, but it was titanic, alien, a blank black wall that I could not see through, a will so powerful like it could not be human. We have an educated man among us. Erebus said, and fixed his somber gaze upon me. He studied me, perplexed. He had to realize I was not on his guest list. Not one of his thirteen hand-picked champions. I wanted to shrink back into my chair, slither under it to avoid his gaze. But whoever controlled my body stood tall and stared back without so much as a blink. Yes, Erebus answered. It is the Holy Grail I seek. If found and submitted to me, then and only then shall I be spared and my rewards dispersed. With more words that were not mine, I said, why would the issuers of your contract, apparently agents of evil, wish to possess a relic that has traditionally been associated with virtue? It puzzles me. My underwriters knew how well the grail is hidden, Erebus said, his gaze hardening. They knew only one hero in a million has the qualities necessary to find it. It makes my escape clause at best improbable. Does that answer your question? Yes, quite. Thank you. The mysterious persona who controlled my body rippled with satisfaction. Without warning, the presence vanished. I possessed myself again. My eyes peered directly into Erebus's eyes, two holes in space that seemed to contain the stars themselves. I had to look away and sit down. Master, was that you? Can you help me? Find the grail, said a faint voice. Do not allow... Yes. Do not allow what? No one answered. Why, my master, have you returned after twenty years of silence to satisfy your curiosity? Forgive me. Speak to me. Please. Erebus relaxed his gaze. He did not call for his bouncers and have me removed. Instead he continued. Whatever the reason for my escape clause, I have one, and while I have not been allowed to actively seek the grail, I have compiled every legend and fact pertaining to it. An army of historians and theologians toiled for two hundred years to complete this work, and their efforts I shall give to you to aid you. Yet even with this collection of lore, the location of the relic remains a mystery. You will be taking a grave risk, speculating on your abilities to interpret this data and testing your luck. And our souls will be lost if we fail, Omar asked. Precisely, Erebus answered. If you fail to satisfy the terms of the contract within the standard year, a devil called Nefarious will collect your soul and it will burn forever in hell. Why not do it? urged the gambler. What is the risk? Your soul? Call a spade a spade. We all know where yours is going anyway. There's nothing to lose. 
only 13 champions allowed, remember? I'd be the 14th. Still, it was the only way I'd be walking out of here alive. I had to eliminate one of the people here, and quickly. How? Gillish, his greed was the key. I silently recited a mantra to calm my fear, gathered my nerve, and again spoke. Thirteen to take the risk, but only one can be rewarded. The rest die, is that correct? Before Erebus replied, Gillish stood and cried. What? The hero Gustav cleared his throat and announced, I shall partake of your challenge, sir, but I request a binding agreement of my own to ensure full payment when I return with the grail. Gillish shouted, No young punk will take what's my treasure. He held a plasma tube in his hand. It was aimed at Gustav's chest. The weapon expelled a cone of xenon diamonds that instantly decayed, incinerating anything that got in their way. I had used one before, flashy, and a trifle messy but highly effective at close range. Pirates and pilots liked them because they worked well in vacuum. It would probably kill everyone on that side of the room. Ekata's body scattered and the others leapt out of their seats. Gillish fired. Nothing happened. You will find that your equipment has been rendered temporarily inoperative, Erebus said. Perhaps this will work then, Gustav said and pulled a knife free from his belt. The blade was slim and slightly curved, a half meter in length, and had a golden mirror shine. Gillish unsheathed his saber, a sword with twice the reach of his opponents, the metal dull, nicked and covered with old blood. Gustav moved to the center of the room onto the projection pad, causing the image of Erebus to distort. The pirate kicked over a chair and joined him. Thus as wrong, 55 cent. Erebus neutralized his plasma tube, but let him keep his saber. Why? And why haven't those bouncers come in here to break it up? He could stop this if he wanted to. The image of Erebus's face blurred and smeared above the two champions like a ghost, watching but not interfering. Maybe, I replied. He wants to weed out the weaklings before he commits to picking his 13 champions. So much the better for us. Gustav slashed at Gillick, scoring the pirate's forearm with a deep cut and destroying the tattoo of a starship in flames. The young hero was fast. The pirate growled and took a pace back, bringing his own blade in line with his opponent's breastbone. He lunged at Gustav, but his blow was parried by the smaller blade with a motion so swift it was only a blur of gold. Then a quick riposte nicked the pirate's hand and scarred a leering skull of green ink. Gillish stepped back to reassess his opponent. A traditional opening sequence to test one another. Medea commented. My persona, Medea, knew more about blades and combat than I could learn in a lifetime. The younger one is more proficient than the pirate. Unlikely, I told her. Gillish has twice his years and twice the skill. He's toying with him. Gillish cut at Gustav's head. Instead of ducking out of the way, 
The hero stepped into the cut and reversed his grip on the blade, so it lay braced along his left forearm. With his metal reinforced arm, he parried the saber with a simple sweep. He then brought up his right fist and punched the pirate's ugly face, busting Gillish's lip in three intertwined emerald snakes. A snarl spread across Gillish's features. Rather than stepping back and using his sword properly, he grabbed Gustav's wrist, twisting his thumb and index finger into a painful lock. Gustav smiled. He was now inside the reach of Gillish's saber, with a proper close fighting weapon. With a twist of his free hand, he reversed the blade that lay against his forearm and skewered the pirate's throat, impaling a lovely tattoo of a slave girl bound in chains. The green pirate turned white, dropped his saber, and fell to the floor. We should kill this hero Gustav from a distance, Medea whispered. Gustav's smile vanished. He took two steps back and allowed the virtual Erebus to resolve on the projection pad, now tinged red with spilled blood. Well fought, Mr. Barbaro, Erebus said, but that shall be enough violence for one evening. I suggest the remainder of you direct your energies to finding the Grail. He stared directly at the hero, who bowed his head and retreated to his seat. There is one last condition to this transaction. When you find the grail, you must not drink from it. Doing so will ruin its pristine state. The wording of my release clause specifies that this incarnation of the grail must remain untainted. Drink from it, and there shall be no reward and a most unpleasant penalty. Now, if you have questions of a legal nature, Feel free to consult with my solicitor. He pointed to the back of the room. A middle-aged man with a pointed beard stood there, holding an alligator-skin briefcase. The solicitor gave a nod, then opened the case and removed an armful of scrolls. Each one was tied with a black ribbon. He handed one to me. Omar whispered, Listen, my friend. I offer you the opportunity to join me and others here. We have agreed to unite our efforts and increase our prospects to find this relic. We can cover more territory in less time, and should any of the others cross our path, they could be taken care of. Including me, he shrugged. What of the tiny matter of your immortal soul? You surprise me, Jermaine. Being deluded by such superstitious nonsense. I shall consider my colleague. I untied the scroll and inspected the screen of the disposable computer. It was a replication of parchment, yellowed, and the calligraphy characters were familiar to me. Blood dried to a crimson dark sheen. The index tab along the side listed 13 sections, containing over a thousand pages of legal speak. I thumbed to the escape clause, a blur of words and writers and paragraphs. Wait, the psychologist whispered. Go back. Page 503, please. I did. There, he said. The party of the first part has the option to release the party of the second part of all obligations here within, provided the mortgage of the party of the second part sold is negotiated in good faith. This is highly unusual, the psychologist said. Usually, 
two contractually joined parties can agree to waive the contract if they so desire. Placing this in writing indicates an erroneous motive, I believe. So, the devil is sitting on this hand, the gambler said. That doesn't alter the odds. It makes a difference. Taking on a freelance assignment for a wealthy eccentric man was one thing. Taking on an assignment for a liar was another. Omar might not take his immortal soul seriously. I did. I scrolled the escape clause. In plain words, it explained that in one Earth's year hence, if the undersigned returned with the grail, subject to tests of authenticity and its untainted state, he shall be rewarded with the title to the Erato system, and there followed a long list of documents verifying the quality of gems, the deeds to hundreds of slaves, and thirty escrow accounts scattered on a dozen worlds in AAA-rated banks. But if the undersigned failed, his soul became the property of the first party. Simple. Erebus Alexander's signature was scrawled in blood at the bottom of the page, the capital A. Of his last name stood tall and pointed above the others. Three runes of absoluteness glowed brilliant white at the very bottom of the contract. They made it unbreakable. In the lower right-hand corner was a blank line for my mark. A year. That worried me. I had never been comfortable with time limits. My assignments rarely had them. I preferred to oversee every detail, study my subjects, and get it right the first time. But a single year, it grated against my better judgment and professional training. Omar's alliance had appeal. He was correct that we would cover more territory, but he was wrong. There could be only one winner. The contract indicated that clearly enough. In the end, we would have to kill one another, and I had already killed him once. Erebus's solicitor distributed quills, albino peacock feathers, with their tips sharpened. The inks we'd have to provide ourselves. Omar wasted no time. He impaled the tip of his finger, drew the blood into the quill's tip, and made his mark. Goose flesh crawled across the arm that was next to him. I glanced up and saw the solicitor speaking to Erebus. I read his lips, he said. Sir, we must find another champion to replace the pirate. His death was poorly timed. Yes, Erebus replied and looked among us. Possibly. Wait. I lowered my head and pretended to examine the contract. Sign, insisted the gambler. Do it before we lose out. I held the quill firmly in my right hand, poised over the meaty pad of my left hand, and I faltered. The door the solicitor came through was wide open. I had a chance to escape. Did I need Erebus's money? No. With my casino winnings, I could live an extravagant life for a decade, or if properly invested, I could retire and live comfortably for the rest of my days. I wasn't greedy. Nothing justified this level of risk. Failure equaled death and eternal damnation in a year. I wasn't willing to chance that. Ikerta disassembled his collective self. Each of the ten-legged scarab beetles in his body hive made their mark upon the pact. A character, an identifying scent that spelled his full name. Even Sister Olivia had signed and gently blew the ink dry on her contract. So why was I 
Stalling. I should sneak out. You're stalling because it's a trap, 55 cent. Aye, that open door. Is Erebus's way to see who's going to chicken night? He'd be a fool to let anyone go who wasn't under his thumb. He won't kill you if you're legitimately one of his 13, the gambler whispered. You're smart enough to take a second look at that contract, Junior, 55 continued, but not smart enough to know that the instant you stepped inside this room, you signed up. I felt like a tourist in the casino. Out of my element in a rigged game, hoping to get lucky and hit the big jackpot. They were right. The only way I'd walk out of here alive was as one of Erebus's champions. Looking over the contract one last time and finding no hidden or misleading causes, I drove the quill's point into my hand and released my well-guarded life fluid. The quill's reservoir filled and I sighed. My stomach twisted into a knot and a fever flashed across my skin. Then a chill turned it cold and clammy dead man's flesh. The ink congealed in an instant. My name froze upon the contract, permanently proclaiming my foolishness. And it was a done deal.